All right, we are live. Sorry for the technical difficulties, y'all. <laughs> I'm still working through um, exactly how to use this stuff. I'm not used to live streaming because all of our previous episodes um, with uh, the way forward, as well as obviously with Health Freedom Pre Many, are all pre recorded. But I'm going to get Renette and um, Melissa, who sort of manages uh, Renette. And she can talk about that on to talk with us here in just a minute. Um, But in the meantime, I guess I can cover something that I think is extremely important um, that has been on my mind quite a bit lately. And that is the importance of not blindly outsourcing to anyone. So many people who are in this space um, that call themselves free thinkers have simply transferred their consciousness of blindly outsourcing to the system in a number of ways and then woke up to the harm that the system is propagating and are now blindly outsourcing to people like Robert Malone, Peter McCullough, Joe Rogan, Elon Musk, some people even outsourcing to myself. And that misses the point entirely. The signs of a free thinker are someone who is actually doing just that, thinking freely. It's not lumping yourself in and self-identifying with this crowd or that crowd or one crowd or the other, us versus them, perpetuating that tribalism and blindly outsourcing to the leader on that side. That's not true free thinking and that's not true sovereignty. And I ask that each of you who listens to this or is watching this live right now to reflect on whether you're doing that in your life. And all of us are to some degree, but I think that's something that we continually need to be looking at, especially if we're going to be calling ourselves free thinkers. So with that, Melissa and Renette are here now. Sorry again for the technical difficulties. I'll bring both of them on. Hi, Alec. Thank you both for joining me and thank you for sitting through the uh, technical difficulties. Sorry with that. Like, I, I know I'm a millennial and I should have all this stuff figured out, but I absolutely do not. And I was actually just talking with Sayer yesterday, Sayer G, um, who's, who runs besovereign.com. Uh, shout out to Sayer for allowing me to be on this platform. Um, and I was explaining the same thing to him that I am like the most technologically deficient person I know my age. So, but thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, you know, I got to start this by saying, and, and we've talked before, that I am typically a person who does not believe there's any viability left in the political uh, arena. <clears throat> I think the federal government is entirely captured. I think um, we have the illusion of democracy at the very least on the federal level. And I don't know if we do on the state or local level, and that's something that I want to talk with you about. Um, and I think that, uh, a lot of people kind of going back to what I touched on before I brought you guys on the stream are, are outsourcing and giving all their critical thought, all of their, um, power that is inherent to them away to a leader outside of themselves, especially within the political arena. And I see you nodding, Renette, and I know like you agree with all that, which is why this is so refreshing. Um, especially as someone who's running for governor of California. So. 
let's start there. What are your thoughts on everything that I just said? I completely agree. And that's why I'm running how I'm running, because I've been within the political system on a local level, and I've been watching it at the local level as well as the national and international level, and I see the corruption. And when you look at it as it currently stands, it's pretty depressing. And uh, it's pretty corrupt, and it doesn't represent the will of the people at all. I mean, the vast majority. And that's exactly why I'm running. And But when I decided to run, um, the, the individuals who were asking me to run were highly concerned, just like we are. I said, you know, I'm willing to run, but if you just want another more of the same candidate, I have no interest in that because all I'd be doing is handing over my, my life and everything, all my hard work and energy for just more of the same. So that's why I'm running with no party affiliation. And I have to tell you, Alec, what we're doing right now was not possible just over two years ago. And now it is because people are done. People are waking up and they're realizing the two-party system has been completely infiltrated by big money. It has been cooed, as I like to say. And so we are playing on that, that game board. We're not playing by those rules. And we have a whole different set of rules, goals, metrics, and um, people coming together, a diverse diverse group of people are working on this campaign. And I waited, I waited during the recall. I was watching after the recall. I was waiting for someone to come to the surface to do just that. And I wasn't finding it. And then finally, my partner, uh, Susan and I have 14 years, we were talking about it. And she's like, do you want to really do this? And I said, I don't know if want is the operative word, but I feel like I'm on a mission and I have to. And the truth of the matter is I don't trust anyone as much as I trust myself. I've been, in, I've been in the trenches for 20 years. I know what I stand for. I know how thick my skin is. I know what my purpose is. I know that I can get in the ring and fight. And I also know I can lead and be very creative and be compassionate. And that's what I'm looking for in a leader. So I thought, okay, here we go. And here we are. It's so refreshing to hear that. And I want to talk about some of the things that you stand for here in a second, but I want to turn it over to Melissa now. Melissa, so you're a huge activist. Um, I don't even know if I like using the term activist. You're just an incredible human being um, in in the San Diego area. And so I'm sure people are wondering how you fit in with this. What, like we're talking with Renette about her running for governor of California, where you fit into this picture. Um, yeah, if you could just describe that. Yeah, well, I mean, first, first and foremost, where you and I, Alec, uh, first crossed paths was as my work as founder of San Diego Rise Up. Um, and it's been through the work that I've done in the last couple of years in San Diego County, specifically, you know, we run it, I run a nonpartisan citizens advocacy group and the entire intent is to help educate people into taking action in meaningful ways in their community. And so we, um, you know, early on in 2020 with seeing everything that was going on, it was sort of like, uh, where are all the young people? Where are the bridge builders? Where is the message for the majority in the middle? And I wasn't seeing anyone doing that. I wasn't seeing any, anyone really opening up a table to have big conversations, challenging conversations with integrity, keeping the hands above the belt and making sure that we are working together as a community. So that's really why I started San Diego Rise Up. I mean, to heckle our county board of supervisor, Nathan Fletcher also. Uh, but I wanted to show people and I wanted- job at that, all the videos <laughs> I've seen of you guys heckling him. 
Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to, I, I, I realized that I was asleep at the wheel also, and that I was turning a lot of the big decision-making in my community over to these um, uh, public servants. You can't really call them that because they're not serving the public. So the last two years we have gone out and we have gotten the hyper local um, action through the through an active citizenry to show people that our elected officials are not actually representing us. And so my main focus is about building community and that's what I've done in San Diego. So um, the, the second hat that I'm wearing is campaign manager for Renette Senum's gubernatorial race in California. And it took me about a half a second when Renette asked me if I would come on board uh, to agree because she falls in line with my two number one principles, which is number one, working with people I know and love and trust. Uh, my father actually introduced me to Renette about five or six years ago when she was mayor of Nevada City, and he was real proud of himself because his friend was the mayor. And the second principle is if it's not an enthusiastic yes, it's a no, meaning I lead by my intuition. I know what a yes feels like, and I know what a no feels like. And I also know what a maybe feels like, and that means wait. And so you know, knowing Renette's principle, knowing what type of leader she is, and also recognizing that this campaign is something totally different because I would not get involved in something that is a typical political um, charade because that's what I believe it is. Most political systems are built to not serve the people, at least as it exists right now. So I, you know, this has been a, a tremendous honor for me to take the work that I've been doing in San Diego with the networks that I've been building and really being able to leverage the community involvement and all of these beautiful relationships and amazing people that we're surrounding ourselves with to be like, this is the time to do something different. So that that's the way that I fit into this. <laughs> I love that. I love the, like, it took you half a second thing. Cause like, I, I know so many people um, and I know, Renette, we haven't had a chance to talk too much. We we've talked a, a little bit here and there, but um, I know so many people that I respect surround uh, Renette. So she's got to be someone who gets it, you know, and I, that fully makes sense that it only took you like half a second to realize that. So, Renette, I want to talk now about some of the things that you stand for and what um, is the basis of your um, platform, if you will. Well, um, as we mentioned earlier, I'm a two-time mayor and council member of a small town in Nevada City, Northern California. And um, for the last almost 20 years, over 18 years, I've been highly engaged in making Nevada City and the surrounding area more resilient, right? Uh, boosting our local food system and making sure that our buildings are as energy efficient as possible and making sure that our homeless have, you know, extreme weather shelter during bad, you know, times of weather. Um, and just trying to set an example, you know, I became concerned with the planet about 2004 when Bush was reelected re for a second term, which I kind of laugh now and say, oh, that looks like the good old days. But at the time I was concerned and I, and I wanted to make a better planet, but I thought, how in the world can one person have an effect, have an impact? And then I started to read books like The Tipping Point and realize, wait a second, you know what? All I need to focus on is my own community. And if I can make the world that I want within my own community, the objective for me was to have people come to Nevada City and go, oh, this is what a community is. Oh, this is what a sense of place is. Oh, I want a farmer's market like this. I want representative government like this. And that's the best I could do. And... And so that's what I've been focusing on the last 20 years. And then I was reelected for a third term in 2020 and I was mayor when COVID hit. 
And I began to see a lot of red flags. And it was so bad, Alec, that I literally, the day I was to step down as mayor and take my oath for the next third term, I gave my resignation and I kind of read the riot act to my city council calling them out. What, what, what did you see? What did you see that made you want to step down? Because um, I mean, that's a big like, step right. <laughs> no pun intended like you like you have to yeah. change like i'm no longer doing this anymore well it was, a, it was a it was a combination of things so i mean early on in january i became uh i, I became aware of covid it was just really more intuition which i think we need to all of us need to boost a little bit more when you talk about you know being followers and you know you know and um aligning with leaders rather than thinking for ourselves so i saw this thing called coronavirus so i started to pay attention january february i'm warning the county and city saying hey there's this thing called coronavirus and they were slow to act which i thought was surprising considering it was so virulent right because it probably was circulating around the community uh and we didn't know it so then finally i signed a declaration of emergency we had the stay at home orders from governor newsom i supported that because we just had nothing more than predictive models that were horrific every five to six point four days the numbers were supposed to to double which meant by the end of april the whole planet would be consumed I'm a risk taker. I have no problem being on the edge. But as a mayor, I had to be uber conservative and say, uh, this is this, there's a lot of unknowns here. So I supported the stay at home orders. And then at that point in time, all of our, our meetings, in person meetings, went to Zoom online. And we started holding a Friday Zoom call with our public health department heads, our county CEO, our city managers, and mayors to make sure we're all on point. We got the same message, we're getting the same information. And I was fine with that. We're doing the best we can. And we were going off of predictive models. And I was saying, this is great. And once we get the real data, then we'll adjust ourselves accordingly. Well, the real data started to come in, Alec. And when the real data started to come in, I was like, and then also in February, which most people don't know, um, Fauci did a retraction in the New England Journal of Medicine saying, sorry, <laughs> my numbers were wrong. And it's not going to be worse than a, than a bad flu season. And I'm like, fantastic. Woo. Wipe the sweat off your forehead. <clears throat> Let's go forward. Let's continue. Go back to life. But instead, <clears throat> what was happening was behind the scenes, it was exactly, we're gonna do exactly what we did before. And when I would raise my hand to ask a question, I would either be muted by our CEO of the county, I would be ignored, or I'd be brushed aside and told Manette, wait till after the, the meeting and just stay on afterwards and we'll answer your, your deep blades in the grass questions, which I think were questions that everyone wanted to answer. Yeah, really concerning because you want to ask those questions in front of everyone to sort of like, you know, stoke some critical thought in their head, like, hey, here's some deeper things we may need to be considering with this. Was not allowed. And I could see very clearly that it was about controlling the narrative. So then at that point in time, I kept asking questions, started butt a lot of heads, ticking people off. But I'm like, hey, you guys, I'm just telling you, I'm seeing a lot of red flags here. And then when Newsom did his mask mandate after doing a billion dollar deal with, you know, a Chinese company, what's going on there? Huge red flag. I know as a governor, he does not have unilateral power to go out there and force a medical device on people's faces, period. I'm not talking about the efficacy right of of the mass i'm just talking about the authority of a governor of an elected can i bring up a, qu a quick point there too just just so people have the context for anyone who's listening to this there's actually two federal codes that uphold your right to refuse emergency use products and masks have been under emergency use authorization since april 24th 2020 you are not required to wear them no matter what anyone says unless you sign a contract or you consent to it 
Um, other than that, you are not required to. And one of them is 21 US code 360 BBB-3. The other one's slipping my mind right now. But the point is there are two federal regulations that uphold your right to do that. Right. So, so in addition to that, I went down the day that he made this mass mandate. I went down to our police chief just a few blocks away, walked into city hall. I said, hey, Chad, this mass mandate, do you plan on enforcing it? And he said, I don't know how. It doesn't come with a penal code. Nothing you can do about it. And in addition, it doesn't look very constitutional to me. I'm like, thank you very much. That's what I thought. I went back home and I'm just sitting there and I'm watching the news and media, the press, waiting for the backlash, waiting for the other elected officials who know how laws are made, know what's what's their duty and what, what the parameters of their job is. And there's silence, complete silence. And I'm thinking, where is everybody? Like, where where are all the leaders? Where are all the people who knows how you know government works? And so then I'm thinking, because uh, I've actually resorted to my Facebook page on a couple different occasions. And I, I have a very big personality. I have a very big voice. And I've learned how to use it for uh, for the benefit of others, right, when when necessary. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to resort to my Facebook page again. So I went and got a Peggy Hall video, The Healthy American. She did a beautiful job showing how you know, legislation is made, how bills are, are passed, the whole entire process, which most Americans and Californians don't know. So we have a government who's actually taking, and a media, who's taking advantage of the fact that we don't know how bills are made. And I put that on with this kind of very bold, you know, post. It's like, you know, regarding the mass mandate, as you go about your day, no you know, you know, Newsom does not has authority. Um, and he and later on, I started calling him king. He's not king. Um, and, you know, you, you can, you know, wear your mask or not, whatever. Well, as you can well imagine, all hell broke out. So SFGate, LA Times, SACB, they can't stand me. They always put these very bold, misrepresentative uh, headlines about me over and over again. And this time they're saying, eh, you know, mayor basically says, don't wear your mask because essentially they're not effective. And I'm like, that's not what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about is the is the authority of the governor and what he can and cannot do. And this is a very slippery slope. And so at that point in time, what happened in my community is I had people standing up saying, we love her. Thank you for speaking the truth and you know taking a stand. We hate her. How dare you? How can you not care about us? It was back and forth, back and forth until finally, um, you know, I realized poor city halls getting the emails and the phone calls and they can't get their job done. So now I've just been couple months before that reelected to a third term. And, um, and at this point in time, I know it's very clear that we're not adapt, you know, adjusting ourselves whatsoever, according to the information. And now it's July 8th, I'm ready to step down as mayor, take my oath for my third term. And instead, I gave my resignation letter, I read it uh, online on our zoom call or city council meeting. And I called my, my uh, city council members, out. I said, you're all committing crimes against humanity, because you have the information that I have. And, you know, there's no reason for you to keep doing what you're doing. Did you talk to any of them offline, like asking them, like, why, like, how do you not see what's going on? How are you not speaking up to this corruption? Like, what was because I, I say that because on the Health Freedom for Humanity podcast, I've interviewed um, I interviewed two anonymous nurses and one anonymous nurse practitioner, and they were speaking about the very alarming uptick in neurological conditions and heart attacks and strokes and um, cancers resurging after the rollout of the shot. And it wasn't that they were, you know, anti-vax or anything like that. They're just simply discussing what they are observing. That's it. That is all that they were doing. And they would approach their coworkers and their coworkers would immediately shut off conversation. All of their colleagues would not go there, would not even question it, would not even bring up, hey, is there a possible correlation? It was just immediate silence and push the narrative. 
Well, and, and I had the exact same thing. So what happens, a couple different things that have been going on psychologically where we try to get behind this and figure it out. First and foremost, public health uh, policy, there's a very well-known public health um, field of expertise called fear appeal, which is what public health departments use and been using it for generations, which is they find something that's a, a risk, a danger to the public. And what they do is they repeat that message over and over and over and over and over again. They saturate the market until finally you are in such anxiety and stress in a pressure cooker. You'll do whatever they say just to relieve the pressure that has been weaponized. That has been weaponized. The other thing is it's called Biderman's chart of coercion, B-I-D-E-R-M-A-N-S. Biderman's chart of coercion came about when Amnesty International had someone go out there and look at the different despots and dictators to see how they were able to coerce prisoners of war, right? And just make them fold. And there's eight steps. The first step is isolation. The next step is humiliation, right? And it goes on and on, uh, arbitrary laws, arbitrary enforcement, omnipotence, I've got my shot, I've got my mask, you don't. And what was really interesting, which people don't talk about, because this community in Nevada City, I love this town. I love the people. I was raised here since I was four years old. I've literally dedicated my life to this town. And what happened was when I did not go along with the mask mandate, this whole community was horrified, like, Renette, how could you not care for us? How could you not love us? We're not who we thought you, you were. And what I realized had happened was that my community is about the, the greater good. They believe in, in service to others, right? They believe in, in, in making the, the world a better place. But what had happened was when I heard the system, the media say, the masks are not for you. They're for your grandparents. They're for others. When I heard them say, the shot's not for you. It's for others. It's for your grandparents. When I heard that, I thought, no, they're going to do that. They're going to pull that string. And they did. And it worked. So when I, a person that this community knows, I love this community, was not going along with that. They were horrified thinking, well, obviously, Renette does, Renette does not care about us. Obviously, Renette does not care for the larger good. And obviously, we don't know who she really is. But I was trying to tell them, no, the wool's being pulled over your eyes. I'm behind the scenes. I see what's going on. I see what's being said and what's not allowed to be said. I'm looking at the real data. And then this is another kicker is required by law in California. There's called something called the Freedom of Information Act that you can require public records, uh, a request on public records. It's by law, counties and cities, so on, must actually turn over that information within 10 days. Here in California, it's a public records request. Myself and others were sending in public records requests on the public health department regarding vital statistics. And ultimately what happened was we kept getting denied, getting denied, getting denied, which is absolutely- You're looking for any evidence to substantiate their claims or what they were pushing, right? That's all you were doing. Show me the numbers. And I'm all about that. Show me the numbers, show me the data, and you can actually change my mind. I'm not that recalcitrant. I'm pretty fluid. And so what happened is we had one person actually get in and get some information. They, it slipped in the beginning. It was like September, October. And she got the information. And what she discovered was that the, the, the all the deaths were in the nursing homes. And by that time, they'd closed businesses. They had closed schools. They were talking about, oh, later on, having to mask the children possibly, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wait a second. So what happened is when she started to share that information, the county sent, Nevada County, California, sent her a cease and desist order and said, you need, you can, you've got to stop sharing that information. Wow. Why? Because the data and the numbers did not support and back up the narrative. And what we have seen, not just in this county, but across California and the whole entire United States, there's been thousands of public records requests 
thousands of freedom of information requests that have been denied over and over and over again. Why? Because it does not. Or just simply not responded to. We have uh, sent out, you know, freedom of information requests. It's actually not a FOIA request. It's called something different depending on what county you're in. But many times they just don't respond like they never received it. Uh, there is uh, zero intention of local governments, uh, th and th with the exception of a few, because there are some really good counties in California that are led by people, uh, you know, Sacramento County has Sue Frost on their board of supervisors. There are some counties in California that are participating and trying to represent the people, but it's like pulling teeth to try to get any information. I mean, they just give you the runaround, which is why we decided in San Diego just to start flooding them with requests requests and drowning them in paperwork. So that's kind of a tactic of the people to say, well, if you're not going to, you know, cooperate with us, we are going to try to do whatever we can do to make sure that you have so much paper on your desk that hopefully you will capitulate, but I, it hasn't happened yet. It's absurd. Um, I, I have a question real quick, Renette, and this is a very general one, but it's, it's, uh, it's important. How will you if you are elected as governor, if elections even work, that's so I'm, I'm operating from that position. Like if they even work, because I would think that the majority of people, even within California are in agreement with you and in agreement with your position. So I guess we'll see here. But um, if you are elected, uh, how will you ensure that the rights of the individual are upheld? Well, there's many different ways. First of all, you you end all of the overreach of bills, right, that have actually eviscerated our, our constitutional rights and our bodily autonomy and our right to choose for ourselves, our children, and our own bodies. The next thing is, is that you make sure and you send a message to the legislators that when bills are coming to my desk, I don't pass them. I don't approve of them if they're not constitutional. That's a loud and clear message to send to the legislators. And you just say to them, look, it, you can, you can author that bill. You can go through all the different committees. And if you can't tell the difference between a constitutional bill and an unconstitutional bill, then you're wasting your time and energy. But if you want to, go right ahead. Don't pass it. The next thing is, too, which is really important, which is my forte, is I love going out there into the field. I love being in the trenches. And I love hearing from people. I have a really good ability. I have a loud voice, but I also have a really good set of ears. And I know how to hear people. I know how to get the pulse I know how to clear the way from point A to point B so people can get to where it is they want to go. Right now, government has, has become this, this incredible de facto beast that basically if you want to do something, it just you know sets stones in your way and you never can get to where you want to go. And so um, it's not that difficult. Alec, it's not that difficult to do this. It's just that we don't have leaders any longer. They've been corrupted by big money. Big money's infiltrated politics since the 2010 Supreme Court, Court decision known as Citizens United versus the FEC. So when people are wondering, like, what's happened to our government? Why aren't we being represented? Because big money has infiltrated both the Dems and the Republicans. That's why. It's not that difficult. That's such an important point. It's both sides. And yeah. they're playing us against each other, yeah. which is why it's very refreshing to hear. So you're running as independent. Is that correct? No, independent is there's actually an American independent party. So it confuses people. I declined to state no party affiliation and no party affiliation. So, okay, that's that's so people, weird. People ask me because they're like, well, are you just changing for this election? Like, no. And in fact, it was required by the Secretary of State of California when I filed and through all the you know following deadline, filing deadlines and so on for, for running for governor. They they ask you what's been your party affiliations for the last you know 10 years. And I've been a no party affiliation 
for 10 years, except for 2016. I jumped in as a Dem to, to vote for Bernie. What a mistake. It was, it was absolutely nowhere. But uh, but basically, I've been a solid decline to state, and I've lost, I've lost my faith in the two-party system. Uh, starting with Obama, when he was elected and, and started wars and kept bombing people and was not the peace president and had his Tuesday kill list and his drone program. And I was wondering where all the Democrats were and why they weren't protesting in the streets like they were with Bush. And I, that's when I lost my faith in the two-party system. So it's been going on for a long time for me. How has, how has your perspective on, um, the importance of individual liberties changed, especially with this COVID situation or has it changed? Did you already, have you always had those perspectives? I mean, I guess you could say that traditional liberalism, right? Like the traditional left that I think I come from, I know you're saying you come from Melissa. I I'm, I'm assuming you come from as well. Um, the, the traditional like liberalism actually upholds the rights of the individual. And that's where there's this huge disconnect. But I guess how has that position become more important to you throughout this COVID situation? Well, it's more important now than ever because it's being so threatened. It's been completely hampered. And the thing that I've always loved about America and, the, and, and California in particular, and I've traveled a lot around the world, is that it's our diversity right? Diversity of thought, diversity of creativity, of, of race, of religion. And that's what's so beautiful about this country. But there's something interesting is I do believe, and I've been very different. I've been a very different kind of liberal. I have to say I'm probably more libertarian. The environment's very important to me, right? But I'm, I'm a gay woman. I've been in, in with my partner for 14 years, right? So social issues, I'm more progressive, right? Um, but I believe in smaller government. But the caveat with that has always been, well, let's have smaller government, and I've talked to the Tea Party folks who the Tea Party Patriots started in this county. I'm like, look, I support your smaller government, but there has to be a standard. There has to be a guiding light that we all try to make decisions and base our decisions and our leadership upon. And if we don't have that and we just have smaller government, you just got this Wild West. And at some point, it's going to cost us a lot, the environment, our well-being and all these things. So that's where that seventh generation principle has come into my campaign is like, I want that guiding light to be part of our leadership and our decision-making and how we base our decisions and how we measure ourselves. So I'm very, very, I'm just totally outside the box. I hate using that phrase, but uh, I believe in smaller government. And I, I believe that, you know, it, let me put it this way. If we have a shore that we're all heading for, and this is, this is the, uh, the parallel that I make, and it's always that seven generation. It's always, always out there, right? You're in your boat there. You're in your boat there. And I'm in my boat here. I don't know what your currents, your storm, your wind is. I have no idea. And you're tacking back and forth like this, right? But And I'm tacking back and forth like this. It's not about me determining and micromanaging your moves and what you're doing and how you're sailing. I just have to have confidence that you're tacking to the same shore that I'm tacking to towards. And that is that seventh generation principle. Now, what's so fascinating, Alec, in all of this is I've been watching everything, just the, the Constitution, our rights, our bodily autonomy, our, our ability to determine our lives and our decision making and that of our children has just been eviscerated over the last two years. I've been going back into time looking, where did we go so wrong? And then I come to find out, and this book was just given to me last week, as a matter of fact, that um, our Constitution had been inspired, which I knew about the Six Nations of the Iroquois Confederacy, right? So we... We believe that our forefathers came up with this wild framework. It was brilliant. And, you know, and that was it. That's not 
the whole picture. There's a lot of historic revisionism going on around the Constitution and, and the founding of this nation. And what I come, come to find out is that the Constitution was inspired by the Six Nations of the Iroquois Confederacy, but for whatever reason, our forefathers decided not to include in this beautiful boat, this vessel, the seven generation principle, which is the which is the compass and the anchor are our elders, right? The, the the grandmothers. It's their job to look back the last few generations to fold in the wisdom today in the decision making to make sure that seven generations actually have a beautiful future. Well, what I did not know, and this is really important for your listeners to understand, is that I was under the impression that our forefathers kind of stole this idea from the Iroquois, but what I found out. There's something called the Great Law of Peace. Well, that was the Iroquois Constitution. And Benjamin Franklin spent seven years with the Iroquois. They, wow. worked, on it. they worked on it together. So we're told this Constitution was created by a bunch of white privileged guys. And that's not the whole story. So this, amazingly, was gifted to me because of my, my campaign, is a breakdown of, of the, the great, Great law of peace here and the Constitution here, so you can see what we what we included and what we did not include from the Great Law of Peace. And what was really interesting is the Iroquois went to Benjamin Franklin, our forefathers, and said, "You guys have made a fatal flaw. You're not including the women in the decision making." So when we look at the executive branch and so on, and the legislative, well, what they had was a council of grandmothers to make the final decision and to weigh the 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 the, uh, the any kind of disagreements or battles. What we have is the Supreme Court instead. What happens when that Supreme Court is in, is is uh, I won't say entirely corrupted, but is leading more towards yeah. corruption in many ways. So what? And and then I guess the broader question there is how at the state level, if you're if you're setting out to turn around California, how do we ensure the uh, inherently corrupt federal government is not um, reaching down and trying to dictate and control what is happening in your state. Cause I see what's happening in California. They're, they're in lockstep, um, with what's happening with the federal government and they're all in unison going in the same direction. I'm sure there's some levels of interaction and control there. So how would you cut, sever that cord and ensure that, um, the federal government has no involvement in, in your dealings in California? Well, okay, so two, that's a two-pronged question. So starting with the Supreme Court, basically, um, when the great law of peace, who they determined the, the, the female right elders, right, on, on this, this council of grandmothers, essentially, it was not about race, gender, your career. It was about the respect that you, that, that was, that you held, the wisdom, your intelligence. It was a different, different group of, of uh, factors to consider, whereas now it's just very different. Um, so as far as the infiltration of our government, which has been, in my opinion, been infiltrated at the very least by big money, if not more than that, um, is it is our duty to break unjust laws. And you're not going to have a lot of candidates say that, but it's our duty. That's so awesome to hear. I'm smiling so big because it's so incredible to hear someone. And I know people are going to say, wait a second. That's, I'm like, no, 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 no. It is our duty to ensure that our own government is abiding by the constitution right? And when they don't, it is our duty to say, no, you don't have my consent. I'll see you in court. And granted, the Supreme Court may not be the thing, but there's a lot of courts out there and there are a lot of judges out there who will decide on our behalf, which is now happening. We are actually seeing that. It's taken a while, but it's happening. And so the other thing is too, is don't play on their game board. Don't play by the rules. 
this is what's happened is over the years, our education system, which was started by the Carnegie's and the Rockefellers with two goals, which was to remove any dissent from the student and all originality. So they just had a worker, worker, worker bee, right? A working class without ever questioning authority or just, you know, just regurgitating what they were told to do. Well, here we are. So now we have a government that has taken advantage and a media that's taken advantage of the fact that we don't know what the constitution is. We don't know what the role of government is. We don't know that we are actually much more powerful than our legislators. They have led us to believe that our destiny is in the hands of their policies and legislation. That's not true. You and I, we have 12 to 60,000 thoughts a day. And those thoughts are connected to a lot of actions. We outnumber them, Alec. We outnumber them. They're absolutely not powerful. It's an illusion. So what we do is we say, we're stopping. We're no longer playing on this game board with you. We're going around this game board and this is the game we're going to play. And it's about ensuring that our children's children have a future. So when I lead, whether I'm a teacher, a police officer, a mother, a doctor, I lead looking through the lens of the seventh generation principle. And as much as possible in my little boat over here, or my little boat over here, I'm going to tack back and forth, always with a thought in my mind to serve that seventh generation and do the best I can. It's not about the government micromanaging my life. It's not about me micromanaging my neighbor's lives. It's about all of us having confidence in one another and serving a larger purpose, purpose which is the future, our children. Because right now, when I ask people beyond, beyond a recall or an election, voting for somebody or not voting, what measurement do we have for our, our elected officials' leadership and the decisions they're making? It doesn't exist. The mm -hmm. closest thing we have to measure the GDP, the gross domestic product. What does that measure? What adds to the GDP? Death, oil slicks, catastrophic fires, you know, I, I mean, mudslides. This is not a measurement of our wellness. And so there's a two-pronged approach to this, which I've been really going out there and advocating for. You got the front end and you got the back end. The front end is like, this is the goal. This is the guiding light. The guiding light is do the best you can and as much as possible. We're not looking for perfection. Try to make decisions based upon that seven generation principle. And I can get into later what that would look like. Now, the back end is, okay, once we do that, now let's measure our leaders every single year. And I don't mean like, oh, let's just wait two years or four years before we can throw them out in a corrupt system. Let's measure them real time. So every single year here in California and America, we can look to the country of Bataan, who for years and years have been doing what's called the happiness or the wellness index. It's like a 70-page survey that all the citizens take. They ask questions are respective to their their lives like how fat your ox and how tall is your wheat does not apply to us but in america we do have an aversion of, of of this this type of survey which is far shorter and, and not 70 pages but we ask questions like you know um how safe do you feel in your your neighborhood do you have access to clean water higher education do you feel your government is representing and hearing you and we can actually, this is non-identifying information. I'm very, I'm very keen on and protective of metadata and collecting, you know, personal information on us. But this is non-identifying information that we can then whittle down every single year to every single zip code and say, hey, legislator so-and-so, I see this zip code right here. People don't feel safe in their neighborhood. You have a year to clean it up. And we don't have the ability to do that. And that's what we need right now. We need that raw, immediate data to see where we need to clean up our app. And to see what legislators are and aren't. And if you really want to have some fun, you could always have a referendum and a ballot initiative like they did in Rome, where they took the worst legislator in Rome every single year and they exiled them for 10 years and said, you can't get, come back to Rome for another 10 years. We could do the same thing here if you really want to have a lot of fun. 
we can say to the, you know we can say to the senator pans and the wieners like hey you know what you really stink and you can't come back to sacramento for 10 years i mean you we can have a field day here we're much more powerful than we realize we have been led to believe you know like a like a you know a cow with a little ring in the nose to believe that our legislators are in complete control of our lives we have no power we're powerless and i'm here to tell you that is absolute bull and to bring all of that back to what you started this conversation off alec at the very beginning of this to say that people have been outsourcing their power externalizing and giving away the thing that is true liberty and so that's been my fo focus hyper locally and i think that we can all take that model is to remind people how powerful they are right the government does not exist without the people participating and so it really is about the individual realizing they have the power we as citizens hold the keys, the way that we behave in our daily lives, every decision that we make influences our greater community. And it's brilliant because part of what Renette is saying is that, you know, she's one person and as governor, she will be the leader of this type of mentality. But if we don't encourage the people to get back into their birthrights of liberty and of responsibility, because we have just been giving this away. We've been giving it away, turning it over. And her as governor is not gonna change that. If we don't figure out a way to inspire people locally to take responsibility, to kind of decentralize some of that power and really take claim and take stake and stock in your backyard, it's not gonna happen until the citizens realize what their power is and what their responsibility, what their duty is. I have not in my life ever that I can recall heard a political candidate or a politician tr try to impress upon people the in power inherent to them. And that, until now, until like hearing Renette say this, and that's why I was smiling so big. I was thinking in my mind, like, I feel like wielding a battle axe with a like Viking helmet on, but like also sitting and doing some Kundalini yoga at the same time. Like, <laughs> It's like a weird, both. weird balance. Both. Yeah, both. Yeah, yeah both <laughs> at the same time. But it's like, wow, it's so grounded in these like deep eternal truths. But it's like, wow, we are each individually powerful. And to hear that coming from a political candidate is so, so refreshing. It's not, oh, I am going to be the one that is leading you. And it's all about me and like all the attention. Outsource your power and your critical thought and your worth to me. I'm leading this party none of that anymore it's like hey i'm representing all of you and i want you to ensure that you are actually being represented here by me that i reflect what you all want for our local community in our state so i want to talk more about the um the seventh generation principle and what decision making would look like through that lens great so again what's beautiful about this is and i think most people will agree with this is that I think we're all kind of tired of the micromanaging is <laughs> your business is not my business. My business is not your business. And, and yet still we need a, a, a standard in our, our culture. So what I say to folks about this campaign, it's a political campaign, but it's not this campaign supersedes elections and election cycles. This is about creating a cultural shift within California, how we show up in our communities and how we lead within our communities and our own lives and our the most minute decision-making. So 
and I give two examples here. And actually, I was kind of corrected on it, which I thought was kind of funny. I'll get to a moment. But I give the example of, let's say, um, so if you want to make decisions based on the seven generation principle, what would it look like? It would look like this. You're a farmer. You got your crop. You got your weeds. You got a road. You want to get rid of your weeds and spray it. Though I did have someone say, well, permaculture, you wouldn't get rid of the weeds. But for argument's sake, okay? <laughs> um, so you want to get rid of your weeds. Do you spray it with Roundup or do you spray it with white vinegar? What better serves the seventh generation? Or if you really want to serve the seventh generation, let the weeds grow and the flowers sprout and the pollinator population build from that, right? So there you go. Another example, um, let's say uh, you have some to-go to food. You go out to the restaurant and you want to take your to-go food uh, and you use a one-time styrofoam container, one-use styrofoam container, or do you bring your little stainless steel container and you put your food in that? What better serves the seventh generation? Now you can sit there and you can say, well, that really doesn't make a big difference. And I'm like, that's where the lie has been. That's where the facade yeah. is. It's those tiny decisions that add up to hundreds of millions and billions of decisions that over time get us either over here or it gets us over here. And our legislators have believed that we just keep plotting along and they're the ones determining our destiny and where we're going through the legislation. It's like, no, yeah, that has a lot of impact. But not when we're conscious of our decision making and the impact and that we're leading ourselves into whatever future it is right through our small little decisions we make every day. And it's not for me to determine whether or not your decisions are right or wrong. It's not my business. I just have to have confidence and a belief that you too are concerned about seven generations and your children's children, which not everyone's going to be. And they don't have to. Everyone doesn't have to be on board with this, Alec. We don't need 100%. You don't have to act on this 100%. Just the majority More of, of guiding light, right? Like, like yeah. hey, this is something for us to strive towards. If you're not on board, maybe once you see that we're all thriving and doing better operating this way, then you will want to, by your own consent, come on board with this. That's right. That's right. Really important. Yeah. It's a cultural shift. So we're we're using a political campaign. We are determined to become governor. And I'm saying we because I'll be there. But it's it's like, I'm, <laughs> and when I was on city council, there's something you can actually go back. It's in the video records. When I was first on city council in 2008, I would sit at that council table and I would say, well, we, 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 and we, we, we. And I'd have one of my council members who just did not like me. I was always under her skin. She's like, Renette, who's we? Who's we? And I'm like, us. We and it kept happening for years and years, and she got really mad. Like you need to say you, but I'm not, but I'm not talking just for me. I'm talking about we, and that went on for years. We we. That's we're interesting. Not the difference in perspectives on that, like between some other person in the political sphere, that it's like no, it's me, it's my decision. Wait, what? Like you were you were talking about representing <laughs> the entire community here? That's a little weird that you're offended by me saying we. No, it went on for years. And finally, I just got tired of going, what's we? You know, and I was like, okay, me, I, whatever. I'll use your whatever terminology. But so my point is, is, is that, you know, this is, we're using a, a political platform and we're determined to get in there. And we actually have a really good chance, believe it or not. And this was not available to us two, three years ago. But the, the, the climate has changed so much that people are done. They want solutions and they want a way out of this hellhole. And so we are, we're doing this because we're determined to get into that seat so we can all sit there, but we're also determined to actually shift how we show up in the first place. And it's a cultural shift. It's a spiritual shift. It supersedes politics. You know, I, uh, as I've stated several times before, I've never voted in my life and I like never intend to. I think if I lived in California, I would make an exception here because um, 
knowing that you are more focused on individual liberties, individual rights, um, and, and also you're guided by that seventh generation principle of, of preserving for future generations and ensuring that we are all living in an environment that is, you know, interdependent, but, but is thriving, right. That is healthy. Knowing that you have those two things guiding you in your, uh, in your race for, for governor of California, I would make an exception here. I actually would, because my perspective is that regardless of who is in office, the individual has rights, but here's the issue is that when you have an individual in office that is dead set on manipulating people to think that they don't have rights, it becomes increasingly harder to stand authentically in those rights. So having someone in office that upholds those rights is a much, much, much better, not only upholds them, but educates people on (laughs) the reality that they have the authority over the government and not the other way around. That is incredible. Like I, I can't imagine. I, I, like it's, it's amazing the future implications of having that put in place. So, um, I support you wholeheartedly. I, I got to say that straight up. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Though this is this is the this is the the crux of the matter, and we've we've been uncovering this over the last few weeks on this campaign team, looking at the campaign cycles, how people vote, who votes, how often they vote, and what that demographics looks like. And this is very important. This is what we discovered. And this is really important for your listeners to understand. Spread this word everywhere you go, because this has a huge, huge, um, huge implications on our future. I mean, especially right now. What we discovered was that basically when people vote in the primary, like right now in California, there's almost no mention of the primary. Ballots are going out in less than three weeks. Nobody knows. Nobody knows there's this huge election. It was all about the recall in September. All you heard and was above the fold, you know, um, in the headlines of the newspapers, all you heard about was Caitlyn Jenner and, and, you know, Larry Elders and, you know, here's our chance to get rid of Newsom. It was all over the place. You couldn't escape it. Now, nobody knows there's an election. June 7th, ballots go out May 9th. Nobody knows. And so the reason why is this. We've learned that when people vote in primaries, it's very, very low, low turnout. Generally, not generally, but the ones who turn out for the primary are the extreme left and the extreme right. 80% of the people agree with 90% of the issues. I'm going to say that again. 80% of the people agree with 90% of the issues. But the way the current political construct is, the people on the left and the right are the ones who determine it's a top two vote getters. It's an open ballot. does not matter your party affiliation in California. Those two vote getters, top two vote getters, are determined in the primary. And guess what happens? Guess who they are? The extreme right or the extreme left or, you know, whatever, they're an extreme because it's the people who are on either side on the extremes who are voting, determining that. So then you come around to November when there's essentially that runoff of those two top vote getters in the general election. And guess what? The people in the middle are once again stuck having to vote for the extreme left or the extreme right, the lesser of the two evils. They feel disenfranchised. They don't feel represented. They don't feel inspired. They don't see anyone speaking on their behalf. They don't see anyone even reflecting their needs and desires, right? And they're like, what? Again, we're here just stuck with voting for the lesser of two evils? Why? Because that ball got set up at the net during the primary election. And Alec, it's so good, um, you know, to hear your perspective because, you know, speaking from a younger generation, I think that we have grown up disenfranchised with the political landscape entirely because 
the it has been generations of people outsourcing their power and not participating in the way that uh, you know perhaps it was intended i personally think that regardless of what happens in the general election renette is going through the primary there is no way uh, around that she is going to go up against whoever the other um uh contender is in in november but the thing is is that we have this opportunity whether or not she wins is irrelevant because we need to show people that either this system works with participation or it doesn't work mm -hmm. and it's sh it's in showing people that things don't work that they get to the place where they're like okay i'm ready for some change and so regardless of, of the actual election results, it is the opportunity for people like I did in San Diego. I, we had to exhaust all of our efforts first to show people we really are at the end of the road here, folks. And I personally would not have gotten involved in a political campaign. I am a registered Democrat. That's just because I grew up in the Bay Area. That's what I did. I didn't know any better. I wasn't invested. I wasn't involved. And that's my responsibility. I was actively not involved in advocating for what was best for my community. And, you know, when we had a, a phone call a, a few weeks ago when we were talking about this and I had heard, Alec, you say that voting does nothing. And I'm like, we need to sort of reframe the conversation to say voting in the way that things exist right now. You're right. Probably does nothing. But if we do this bottom to top change where we have an activated populace and if it doesn't work, then we've gotten through that. We've exhausted that effort. And now we know we need to change the road. Thing, and, and you're absolutely right. And I stand corrected on that. Like, especially in a state like California, where um, there's just increasing amounts of, of tyranny and people are looking for solutions everywhere. Why not try all of them? Why not get everyone to go out and vote mm -hmm. for Renette? Um, and that's not me saying that you're supposed to blindly outsource. And if you want to authentically choose to vote for someone else, or if you want to, you know, not vote at all, that's totally your prerogative. That's totally fine. But what I'm saying is if we have someone who is a candidate who is for individual liberties, who is completely unaffiliated, who is tired of all this nonsense, just as much as we are, who is a down to earth woman that is absolutely incredible, that is grounded, but also a warrior embodies both. Why would we not want to try to get her in place and see if it even works? So let's all get out there and go do it. And then if it works, oh my God, now we have someone who actually educates people on the rights of the individual, on aspects of common law even, on aspects of natural law maybe, I don't know. Or if it doesn't work, okay, this system is inherently corrupt, but at least we raised awareness to that and now let's look at solutions outside of it completely. Right. And I want to tell you, Alec, you know, I'm really um, I think that for you as an individual, as a man, as a young man, to be able to have an opinion about something, get new information and change your opinion. That is the core of everything that we need to be doing right now. And I wanna give you some credit and recognition for that because you had a strong opinion and you do have some influence over the social media audience, over the, the community that you've built and people listen to you. And I think that above all else, whether people vote or not vote, that that little nugget for you to show that you are not married to your belief just because you said it out loud. And that's yeah. something that we can all take, um, you know, take a lesson from. I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I, I heard that because a lot of times people have a really, really hard time uh, not only changing their mind, but saying it publicly.
Well, you know, this is a, this is a good point because this is what, as an example, led me down the path of terrain theory and lack of proof of viruses was my willingness to explore that which goes against my currently or current current paradigm in my head. And when I'm presented with new information, I'm open to that new information, new perspective. And what you shared here really like struck me to the core. Like, wow, that perspective is actually a valid one. If mm-hmm. if we're having encroaching tyranny and and and, and we keep on conditioning people to believe. And, and, you know, maybe it's not even conditioning. It's that we've grown up with it's either this choice or it's this choice. And both choices are freaking awful. And it's continuing to push this tribalistic nature that gets us absolutely nowhere. So a lot of us do fall into that. Oh, my God, our votes don't matter. Our votes don't count. And I really still don't think that they do at the federal level. That's another story. But I, I will make uh, an exception here that I think there's absolutely merit to at the state and the local level being active in the political sphere and pushing for something that is unaffiliated with either side of the completely BS political spectrum. That is something that is grounded and is for the people and is helping to empower people to stand for their individual rights. Mm -hmm. Why would we not (laughs) want to get involved with that? Like it it doesn't make sense to me. Mm And Alec, so much is at stake here, right? So much. And California is a front line. California is a firewall. I have people say, oh, I've left California, whatever, good riddance. It's like, you cannot, we cannot, as a nation or a planet, allow California to fall into tyranny. It is one gigantic domino. If we fall, I don't care if you move to Texas or Florida or wherever, your time is up. It's gonna. It's coming. It's coming to you, and we have to understand that we have got to invest in California as a fl- front line of a massive world war because this is a spiritual war. They're coming for our souls. They're coming for our children. They're coming for our future. They're coming for our property. They're coming for everything. Our right to speak, our mind to think freely. This is it. And so, and that's why I said, you know, when I was decided to run, I mean, you know, my life is now owned by this campaign, which is fine. I've given it over, but I'm not going to do it for more of the same. It has to be extraordinary because we're living in extraordinary times. So this is where you are really paramount in this story. This is where your listeners are really paramount in this story because we have massive censorship. You know, I was taken down on Instagram, which you're so used to back in January, but here I'm a gubernatorial candidate and they just removed me without, without warning. Um, our hashtags don't work. Uh, people come to our sites and things don't work and, and things get jammed up. I mean, it's just horrific. So it's really important that we understand that, that you and your listeners are the voice of our future. And we've got to do everything in our power to communicate this campaign, to communicate the vision, and the framework to everyone we know in California, whether you're living in California or you know people in California, it is our job, it is our duty to get the word out. And this is why I say, we talk about election integrity like it's just the day of the election, but how can we have election integrity if you don't hear about the the candidates in the first place? And that's where we are right now. Nobody even knows there's an election coming up. Nobody knows who the candidates are. Nobody knows what their, 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 their campaigns are about. And their platforms. And that's where you and I and all your listeners, that's where we have to change that narrative. Mm. And whether you like Trump or not, what people did not like about, the media did not like about Trump was that he was able to monkey wrench the narrative. He was able to go out there and with one tweet completely 
wrangle the narrative in a whole different direction. My own community didn't, didn't like me because I also had the ability to, to wrangle and, and corral the narrative and change it and ask questions and redefine so just it. Be authentic and speak your authentic perspective on things. Right. My like, local media newspaper, they hate me. There were just always these this terrible headlines and stories. And I mean, not even not even bad reporting. It's just false reporting. But but I had the ability to go out there and actually monkey wrench the narrative and ask some questions and say, hey, wait a second, what about this? That's what we actually need more of. And so what we're doing is we're monkey wrenching the narrative. We're monkey wrenching what representative government really is and what a campaign can really be and what our future could be and what our leadership really looks like. And the powers that be don't like that. So that's why we need voices like yours. We have a very short runway. We have less than three weeks because by the time the ballots go out, people have already made up their mind. It's a short runway. So what we're saying to people across the board, Republican, liberal, decline to state does not matter. We need everyone's voices right now in unison to back up this campaign because if we do not, if we don't turn this planet around and California around right here, right now in this campaign, if you think it's tough now, just wait where we are in four years from now. So this is this is a do or die moment for all of us. And I think people sense it, but and they know they're on the sink of Titanic, but they just wait for that little life raft to kind of pull up so they can jump into it. It's not about arguing, it's just like give me the life raft, we'll jump in. We've got the life raft. This is it. Here we go. But we all have to paddle now. We all have to get into a short paddling to that shore. So it involves all of us. And just uh, logistical information, because a lot of folks don't even understand how the voting system works. First, you need to be registered to vote. And there are two elections. Basically, you need to vote for Renette twice. The primary election is to decide who goes to the general election. That's the main election that most people know about. I've asked, I've been up and down the state with Renette the last couple of weeks asking people randomly, hey, do you know that there's a primary election? Do you know there's a first election where you get to decide who the two contenders are? And they don't know. No. So ballots are mailed out to every single Californian voter that's registered to vote. As of 2020, there were 22 million people who were registered to vote in California. In 2018, the last primary, there was only 7 million people who actually voted. That means that there's going to be 15 million ballots that are left unaccounted for. You want to talk about election integrity. We are asking that people look for their ballot, which are mailed out May 9th. Make sure that you receive your ballot and hang on to it. We want people to not mail their ballots out unless there's an extreme circumstance. I had somebody say, well, I'm going to be out of town June 7th. I'm going to be out of the country. Okay, then you've still done your civic duty to, to drop it in the mail. But otherwise, look for that ballot on May 9th, hang on to it, and then go physically to your polling place on June 7th and submit your ballot. Advocate for you to submit a paper ballot. Some places are going to make you or try to make you vote on a machine. If there's any way that you can push back against that, June 7th is the actual primary. But we've got this entire month of all of these 22 million plus ballots that are going to be floating around the state of California. May 9th is the day that the ballots go out. June 7th is the in-person primary. You've got to vote for Renette twice. Vote once and get her in the ring against the second contender. And then the general election is in is in November. So I, I try to tell people that. And I challenge each one of you guys that is listening to this today. Go and tell one other person that what you just heard. Ballots go out May 9th. Primary election June 7th. 
Go out and tell one person and challenge them to tell one person. It doesn't matter who you vote for. Just let people know that this is happening because that's a, a piece that's been lost up and down the state. Thank you so much for that. And I'll be sure to include that in the show notes as well. Um, I have one last question for you, Renette. And this is one that I ask uh, every guest that I have on. So this is a complete hypothetical because I doubt they would ever allow someone like you or I or Melissa to even be on the mainstream news featured all over the country saying what we authentically think. But imagine a reporter came up to you, put a microphone in your face and said, what do you need to share with the world that you think the world needs to hear? You have two to five minutes to speak on it. It's going to be played on primetime TV tonight all over the world. What would you say? <laughs> Don't believe everything you see. Question authority. Especially these days, question the official narrative. That's the biggest favor you can do to the future is question the official narrative on everything. The assumptions that we've made over the years, right? Our historical knowledge over the years. Just start questioning everything as much as you can and be open to changing your mind and also be open to allowing others to change their mind. This is not about convincing who's wrong or right. This is now agreeing to move forward in the same collective direction and keep it at that. Amazing. That was awesome. Um, I think right after this, I'm going to go throw on a Viking helmet and get a battle axe and do the Kundalini yoga that I talked about. <laughs> it's like, again, for real though, it's like both. It's the feeling of like, wow, I feel so empowered right now. Like the power is in our hands, but it's like <sighs> grounded in okay, best for us and the earth. It's, it's incredible. And I, I so appreciate you, Renette, and appreciate that there are still human beings like you that exist that are trying to make a, a massive, massive change in a place that is succumb to so much tyranny and, and melissa thank you for doing what you're doing and for managing her campaign you're an incredible human being and i'm glad to call both of you friends thank you alex same here the feeling is mutual and the last thing i'll say is that this really is a momentous moment in time we have the opportunity right now in the state of california to change history and to change the trajectory not just of the state but the rest of the country and the world and so I really want people to recognize their power, recognize the gifts that they have and contribute those gifts in your local community, show up for this opportunity in this campaign and remember who really holds the power. We do. And that balance, what you're talking about, Alec, that ba balance of masculine and feminine energy and knowing when to take action and when to retreat and restore, we have this amazing opportunity right now it is ripe and people are ready for it mm -hmm. thank you thank so you. much for having us on you and you can connect with renette electrenette.com is the website uh, on instagram renette senum 2.0 uh we really need all, all hands on deck right now mm -hmm. yeah yeah all uh, financial help uh, getting the word out any influencers out there uh bloggers you know independent journalists radio hosts this is this is where this is where you step into being part of the solution we need everyone all hands on deck right now awesome okay so again that is electrenet.com please visit that site and then check the show notes for this show to um, see the dates that melissa and renette talked about here let's see if this works y'all let's see if this works let's see if there's any merit left to our system okay. get out and vote um I fully endorse Alex Zek, the man fully endorses Renette. Um, I think what you're putting forth here is 
incredible, incredible. And hopefully it brings about some change. If, if at the least it will bring about awareness right. um, to, to the problem. So thank you so much for doing what you do, both of you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Alec. See you guys soon. Bye, Melissa.